everyone. Thanks for tuning in today. And uh, it's been a hectic week. And let me give people an update on, on where we stand with the tornado damage to our own ranch out in East Texas. For those of you that may not have listened in last week, I was off the air for a couple of weeks uh, because on April 29th, nine tornadoes came into our county in East Texas, Manzan County. The total of nine tornadoes, seven of them touched down, five were on the ground at the same time. <clears throat> of those five, one was an F3, one was an F4, and one was an F5, which is the second most powerful tornado known to exist. The F5 made a direct hit on our little ranch uh, a couple of miles outside of Canton. We lost my pickup truck. One of our big trees fell on it, just broke it in half. Uh, we lost one of our two remaining cars. We lost my six-car enclosed garage, which contained all of my equipment, farm equipment, and uh, also contained a lot of our items that we had stored back there. Uh, it, it's been totally destroyed. It was also the housing for the electrical system that works our well water. Uh, they cannot re reinstall that electrical system until they rebuild the garage, which may be several months down the road. So we're looking at some possible other options. But in the meantime, we're staying in a motel. Uh, we were very, very fortunate in that the in our house, and we bought the house, we weren't told that's what it was, but we there was a big walk-in closet behind the laundry room, and uh, I looked at that thing and I thought, who builds a closet made entirely out of brick in the interior of a house? And then I realized that was a safe room because this is Tornado Alley after all. So we went into our, our safe room, and uh, before we did that, I did something that I was taught by my grandfather, which some people claim is a myth, and I can tell you right now it is not. We opened all of our windows except one that I couldn't get to. And our house survived. One of only five houses in our whole area. Some of them were bigger and newer than ours. Were totally destroyed or rendered almost totally destroyed. A lot of them don't exist anymore. The only thing left is a foundation. But our house survived. Now, we did take heavy tree damage. We have a lot of trees on our property. We lost about 50 of them, including some of the bigger ones, and all of our pear trees were destroyed. But the uh, big pine tree in the front of the house was torn off. The top of it was torn off and went through our roof into my home office. And the ceiling there is on the verge of collapse. We uh, have power back to part of the house now, but not to that part because it's too risky. But the... Uh, that was a major damage to our house. We had some damage to the other damage to the roof, and we're going to have to have a new roof put on, which has finally been approved by the insurance company, the, the estimate on it, and they should be getting on it in a few days. But right now we're still living in a motel because the house is still deemed to be unlivable, mainly because we don't have any water. Now, I do have an emergency generator and can pump water for a um, couple hours a day, but uh, that's doesn't really work that well, so they're putting us up in a motel for the time being, and uh, we're just grateful to be alive. We, I was told by 
a couple of experts who were out here after the tornado came through, uh, that the extent of the damage, first of all, confirmed that this was at least an F5. In my view, after some, some things I saw yesterday, I think it may have been an F6. But in any case, we were told that the only reason that they could see that our house was still standing, because we did take a direct hit from the tornado, was the fact that we had opened the windows. And what that does is equalizes the pressure, because in a tornado, houses don't explode, they implode, because of the pressure of the tornado on the building from the outside. If you open your windows, it equalizes the pressure, and you're more likely to survive. Surprisingly enough, that doesn't cause a whole lot of damage to the interior of the house. Uh, when we came out, there was some stuff down on the floor, and a few of our wall pictures and clocks were kind of wonky, uh, but they were still still up there. And uh, like I said, we were told that, that uh, considering the fact that all the houses behind us, and like I said, some of them were bigger, some of them were newer, some of them look stronger. They're all gone. And, you know, this, this county suffered severe damage. Uh, this storm was so powerful that when all of a bunch of our trees were down on the front of the, the house, blocking our driveway, blocking the county road, so they had to cut us out the next day. It took the fire department coming out here with some of our volunteers and neighbors who were some of them were just as bad off as we were just about. And they cut through some of these trees, and we were able to get in and out of the house. But the amazing thing was is that I saw one of the trees that we were, they were working on, and it was about a 3,000-pound live oak tree that had been pulled out of the ground by the roots and was laying across our driveway. And I looked at that, and I said, that's not one of my trees. And the neighbors looked at it and said, it's not one of ours either. We don't know where that tree came from, but that's how powerful that storm was. So we had some beautiful volunteer crews come in and help us clean up, one of which is called the Minuteman Disaster Relief Operation. And uh, they are out of McKinney, Texas. And if you go look them up on the, the Internet, uh, you can find out about them. And please, and we're going to donate some money to them. I mean, they just did a remarkable job. They spent two days out here, and they cleaned up most of what was damaged in the front of our property, but the back of the property was still a wreck. And we had another crew. We had crews out here a couple times a week, all volunteers. We had another crew come out yesterday with chainsaws, and then later on in the day some heavy equipment. And they uh, went out and tackled the back part of our property. Now, we have two ropes. Two ways to get in and out of our property. One is the driveway from the front of the house down to the county road, and then there was a back access road, uh, more or less a gravel road, that goes through the woods. That, that our property contains a lot of woods, and it goes through the woods to the county road at the other end. And that road was totally blocked. I didn't know how bad the damage was. I could just see there were a whole lot of trees down right at the entrance to it, and we spent most of the day yesterday cutting through those trees at the beginning of the road and pulling them off, and they took them out to the big pile. We actually have two piles that going on our property along the road, and the county is supposed to come along and pick all this stuff up eventually. But when we got through that first block of trees, I saw what my, was my worst nightmare. We have the biggest 
history on our property was a 150 to 150-year-old live oak that weighs over 10,000 pounds, and it had been pulled out of the ground, leaving a huge crater, and it was laying across that road. Now, they haven't been able to tackle that yet. They're going to need heavier equipment than they got. I mean, just getting the other trees down, they had to change the blades on their chainsaws about three times. But uh, anyway, we're okay. You know, we're not having any, a lot of fun, let's put it that way. But we're alive, and we have a house, and we have a, still have, we'll have a roof over our heads shortly. So compared to what happened, you know, there are four people were dead or dead in, in our county and uh, over three score injured. And they still, we understand, are, are finding some body parts in some of the more heavily damaged areas. And ours is one of those areas. So the death toll could rise. But the people of this, this state, this county, this state, uh, came together unbelievably. And we had, within two hours of the tornado hitting, we had a couple of sheriff's deputies who had hiked in here because they couldn't drive into it, into us, and were knocking on our door just to check and see that we were okay. And we had no power. We didn't have power for days. But they, they were here to knock on our door and check and see if we were okay. And like I said, the next day we had fire department out here. We had volunteers from fire departments all over the county and in neighboring counties showing up. We had police officers from three or four or 500 miles away from towns coming to help patrol the area. Uh, to keep down the, the looting. And then we had uh, churches setting up shelters for people, providing hot meals uh, three times a day, and people were bringing in stacks and stacks of water uh, and just dropping it at our door. Uh, water, hot food, uh, supplies of, of all kinds, and they set up three or four relief centers where we could go and pick up other stuff. I replaced a lot of my uh, my tools that way. Uh, they were just, you know, giving them to us to help us work in our property. And so it, it was, it's been remarkable. And I've been very proud to live where I live because this was just a tremendous outpouring of, uh, of help, neighbor helping neighbor. Like I said, a lot of the neighbors who were helping us were just as bad off or worse than we were. And we did what we could to help them, and they did what they could to help us, and we worked together on a lot of a lot of stuff. But that that's the update. That's where we are at this point. It's going to be a long road to recovery, but uh, we're going to make it. And uh, fortunately, we have two more weeks in the spring storm season uh, here in Texas, and uh, hopefully there won't be any more severe weather. Uh, right after the day after the nine tornadoes in this county, two others touched down in a neighboring county. Uh, they didn't do nearly as much damage. They were much smaller tornadoes. But that shows what you go through in, in this part of Texas. So I'm glad to be with you <laughs> and talking to you on the phone. And, of course, there's a lot to talk about today besides our tornado situation, but they did want to update people. Uh, um, everybody is familiar with the horrific terrorist attack that occurred in Manchester, England, just a couple of days ago, an attack that appears to have deliberately tar uh, targeted children, uh, particularly young girls, 
who were at the Ariana Grande uh, concert. Uh, she draws a large following among teens and preteens, and so there were hundreds of them there. And a suicide bomber set off a suicide bomb and killed 22 people and wounded 59 at last count. This was a Muslim Islamic attack. This guy was a Muslim citizen, British-born citizen, family from Libya. And by the way, I don't know if you're aware, but the British police today reported that his father in Libya had been arrested, and his father was a, a member of al-Qaeda in Libya, or at least a group supported by al-Qaeda. Uh, this guy, Salman Abedin, his brother, who is in Manchester, has also been arrested, and three other people have been arrested. And the United Kingdom has raised its threat level to critical, which means that they expect another attack may be imminent. So that means that they've got 5,000 soldiers now uh, patrolling the streets in some of the major cities and guarding all of the venues because they have a bunch of stuff going on the next few days. They have a big, big soccer uh, championship game, and they have another number of other things happening, and so they are out in full force. But this is another ter terrorist attack, an Islamic terrorist attack, and we'll talk more about it after this break. Perhaps you are struggling to cope with the disease of addiction. If not, you probably know a family member or friend that needs help in battling the cravings and the personal and professional damage done by the effects of drugs or alcohol. Get a pen and paper and be ready to write down the following. These are the issues that the trained staff at the Atlanta Healing Center address and treat every day. Their doctors and counselors with over 40 years of practice in the field of addiction can treat the suffering individual in a thoughtful, compassionate, and experienced manner and guide him or her along the path to recovery. So call 770-696-9862 and speak to a knowledgeable staff member about how you or your loved one can be helped to enjoy a better and healthier life. More information is also available on the website at www.AtlantaHealingCenter.com. Obamacare is failing, but in order to get back on the right track with health policy, people need to be informed. ObamacareWatch.org is your resource to understand what's happening with this law and what you can do to stay active, stay informed, and make positive change happen. ObamacareWatch.org. Visit us now. The Docs for Patient Care Foundation is your way to join the fight and become a member of an organization created by doctors for patients dedicated to fighting for your health care freedom and preserving the doctor-patient relationship. Get a pen and paper. Write down docsforpatientcarefoundation.org. That's D-O-C-S, the number four, patientcarefoundation.org. Go to our site and please make a generous tax-deductible donation and join the fight today. Thank you. You're listening to AmericasWebRadio.com, the pioneer and leader in chat radio. Thank you for listening. You know, interestingly enough, after this terrorist attack took place, uh, there was, I went on Twitter and I mentioned how horrible it was and how I suspected it was Islamic terrorism. And I basically asked the question, how long are we going to put up with this? 
how long are we going to let them keep killing our children? And I was immediately attacked on Twitter by somebody who said that I was Islamophobic and how dare I say that this was done by radicals, what was a radical anyway, and et cetera, et cetera, and defending the attack. And there were a lot of people on Twitter, a lot of your liberals were on there and on other social media networks saying that this was all the fault of the United States and all the fault of Great Britain, that we weren't being nice enough to the Muslim refugees and to the Muslims that were already in the country, that they were all poverty-stricken and they were uneducated and they weren't treated right. And uh, Alan Dershowitz yesterday pointed out on Fox and Friends in the morning that, in fact, most of the Muslims who have been involved in the terrorist attacks in, in Britain in this past year, most of them were well-educated and some of them were very wealthy. So it's absolute nonsense to say that this is a result of, of poverty and lack of education. It's a result of an ideology that wants to kill people and wants to destroy us and take over the world, basically. And, uh, you know, I think my favorite stupid statement was by Katy Perry, you know, another pop star. And by the way, Ariana Grande is a... Uh, she is. She was one of the leaders of the participated in the women's march in Washington against Trump. Uh, she loves Muslims. She loves refugees. Thinks we ought to welcome all the refugees in without any vetting whatsoever. And she also has made the statement, "I hate America and I hate Americans." And this is, you know, an idol around the world. And then you have Katy Perry, who, as far as I'm concerned, has always been dumb as a box of rocks. And she comes in, and her response to the terrorist attack, oh, well, we have to be understanding. We have to have unity. We have to take down barriers. We have to take down borders and let everybody move freely throughout the world, and everything will be hunky-dory. Now, I can I can see, you know, as a response to that, your ISIS terrorists around, around the world uh, listening to her statement and laying down their arms and, going to find some of the Christian prisoners they were about to execute and letting them go and putting their arms around them and everybody's singing kumbaya, you know, the uh, the Islamic terrorists are really going to listen to people like Katy Perry. But unfortunately, a lot of people in our government are still taking the same attitude. And they're looking at this as, as something that is our fault because we're Islamophobic. Well, you can call me Islamophobic if you want. I'm not even sure what that's supposed to mean. You know, I've known Muslims all my life. I had some in my scout troop when I was a scoutmaster. Uh, but they weren't out to kill anybody. They were not terrorists. They were not part of ISIS. They were not part of Al-Qaeda. And that's what we're facing right now. Those are the people that are trying to kill us. And it's as simple as that. And, you know, you have the Katy Perry's of the world and the area on the Grandes and your Hollywood elites, and they're coming out and saying, oh, well, this is all our fault. We should be nicer to our enemies. Well, how did that work when we tried to placate the Germans prior to World War II? How did that work when the British tried to placate the Germans? How did that work when we tried to ignore the Japanese and hope they would just go away? Doesn't work, folks. Never has.
But we now have a president of the United States who is willing to apparently stand up and try to form an alliance. And what he's doing is that on his trip to the Middle East, uh, he met with the Saudis and he spoke to leaders of 50 Muslim countries who came to hear him. And he talked about forming a NATO-type alliance to defeat radical Islam. And he said that to these people, to their faces, to these leaders. And they seemed to appreciate what he said. The only negative came from people in this country on the left who hate it when somebody uses the term radical Islamic terrorism. You know, they think that's Islamophobic. And we shouldn't be saying things like that. That, that upsets those poor people in ISIS, those poor jobless, poverty-stricken men who are going around slaughtering children, slaughtering Christians, slaughtering anybody who disagrees with them, including federal Muslims. The Saudis are fed up with it. The Jordanians are fed up with it. People all over the Middle East and the Far East and Africa, North Africa, are fed up with it. And they're looking for some leadership. And Donald Trump seems to be providing that leadership. While at the same time, the next day he goes to Israel and he reaffirms our commitment to the Israelis that we understand, and he understands, that they are our best ally in the Middle East and have always been our best ally, and they are our best friends there. And that's what um, he's trying to solidify. And the trip seems to be very well received by many people in this country, except, of course, the mainstream news media. By them, not so much. As a matter of fact, when he made his historic speech to the Muslim leaders, there was a total news blackout of the speech, even talking about the speech, by CNN, NBC, ABC, CBS, New York Times, Washington Post. Almost a total news blackout. If they mentioned it at all, it was just a few seconds. <laughs> and, of course, Harvard University has done a study that shows that the media coverage of Trump has been 94% negative. And that's when you lump everybody in, including Fox News. 94% negative. And the media is doing the, this ridiculous stuff. Now, I mean, you know, you, you have the business about Trump supposedly giving in, uh, intelligence secrets to two Russian diplomats in the White House. And that's one of the stories that's come out naming, un, not naming, but citing unnamed sources. They usually say, well, these sources are either current or former employee officials. Officials of what? Employees of what? If they're government officials, how would former government officials know what went on in a meeting in the White House? Who was there to leak that meeting? All the people who had actually attended the meeting said that no such intelligence was given to the Russians. No, no top secret information was given to the Russians. That this was totally made up. But New York Times broke the story. It was picked up by all the major news organizations. And they continued with this litany about, well, Trump has, has violated uh, the top secret security clearance in this country. Well, something else that needs to be pointed out here is that there's one person in the United States who is in a position 
to declassify top-secret information on his own without approval of anybody, and that happens to be the President of the United States. Did that happen in this case? No indications are that it did not. But this is the type of thing that they keep blowing up. And now we have other information about this so-called meeting uh, coming out, and it is based, and this was reported again by the New York Times, this information was based on an internal memorandum in the White House that was read by somebody, again, an unnamed source. Parts of it were quoted to New York Times reporters. These New York Times reporters later admitted that they had never seen the document, wouldn't say who who had talked to them about it, wouldn't even say whether or not they knew who the person was. They never authenticated the document, never saw the document, never read the document, never knew if the quotes, quotes were out of context, or even if the document even exists. And this is the type of news reporting we're getting in this country. And it's totally out of hand. It's totally negative when it comes to Donald Trump. Now we have the special prosecutor, Robert Mueller, who not the special prosecutor, that's, that's incorrect, special counsel. Special prosecutor, that's the way the Democrats keep referring to it, and the news media keep referring to him as special prosecutor. That's not what he is. Special prosecutor is a appointed when someone has been charged with a crime and is going to be prosecuted in court for that crime. There is absolutely no indication at this point that Donald Trump or anybody in his campaign or in the White House has committed any type of crime. In fact, there has been even uh, some of the leaders of the intelligence community while Obama was on office they have come out that they have found no evidence and seen no evidence of any collusion between the Trump campaign and the Russians. And based on what's happened between the Russians and Donald Trump since he took office, it doesn't look like he's bending over backwards to make them happy by any stretch of the imagination. One thing that's been asked of me is, is what about the, the Trump's appointment of a private attorney to represent him. And what does that mean constitutionally? Well, constitutionally, the President of the United States is like anyone else. They have a right to be represented by counsel in investigation or particularly if it's criminal in nature. And the FBI has come out and even some of the members of the House and Senate and said, oh, this appears to be a criminal investigation. I don't see it because I don't see what kind of crime they think they can charge anybody with here. I mean, if members of the Trump campaign talked to somebody connected with the Russian government and was not giving up state secrets and was not saying, okay, we want you to come over and steal votes from Hillary Clinton, then I don't see a crime being committed to begin with. But Trump is within his right to do what he needs to do to protect himself and to protect his presidency. And having his own attorney, a private attorney, to talk to him and provide him with advice is probably a good idea, particularly since he uses somebody in the Justice Department, which is appointed to special counsel. That wouldn't work. And the way the White House and the intelligence community 
and particularly the Department of Justice and the FBI, are leaking information, he needs somebody he can talk to in private, someone who can give him sound legal advice on how to proceed here. And I think that's what he's doing, and I think it's a, it's a pretty good idea. It's going to be something that needs to be addressed, but it needs to be addressed quickly because I don't think there's anything there. I think this is all a smokescreen to slow down what Trump is trying to do with his presidency. And we'll talk more after the break. Cook Immigration Partners is your passport through the immigration maze. Whether it's help with e-verify in your business or help in how to document a new employee under the new I-9 rules or if you marry a foreign national. Cook Immigration Partners is your best choice for a legal advocate. Call us today at 866-286-6200. That's 866-286-6200. Or visit us on the web at www.immigration.net. This is Lawyer Liz. Join me each week as we discuss drones, the Internet of Things, and all the technology in between. It's Buzz Off with Lawyer Liz, Wednesdays at 2. Whether cruising the Strip in a 57 Chevy or taking the family on a vacation in a 71 Oldsmobile Vista Cruiser, you need to tune in to Classic Cars with Steve Ronaldo and Jim Weber every Saturday from 8 to 9 a.m. on AmericasWebRadio.com. Your auto love and investment demands the best, and for 45 years, Passport Transport has been meeting those demands. From manufacturers to the one-car collectors and all other facets of the auto industry and antique auto hobby. The first and the finest with unequaled service and peace of mind. Passport Transport, your auto transportation company. Contact PassportTransport.com with your need today. Passport Transport. Hello, I'm Dr. Mike Karuchak. Have you ever wondered what doctors talk about amongst themselves? If you do, join us on the Doctor's Lounge and hear the doctor's conversations amongst themselves. Join me and my co-host, Dr. Hal Schertz, every Thursday morning, 8 to 9 a.m. You're listening to AmericasWebRadio.com, the pioneer and leader in chat radio. Thank you for listening. I'm talking about the investigation into Trump and multiple investigations when you include the House Committee, the Senate Committee, and now the... Uh, special counsel. Talking about that, there have been some concerns raised about Robert Mueller. Now, most of your politicians are saying, well, he's wonderful, he's impartial, he was a great FBI director, and a lot of that I, do, I agree. To a certain extent, he was a very good FBI director. But when it came to the issue of radical Islam, he was pretty weak. You know, he was the FBI director prior to and after the 9-11 attacks. And when the Patriot, Patriot Act started to be initiated, he was making sure that the FBI was being very well trained about uh, what was going on with radical Islam and with terrorism. And he received a lot of pressure from U.S. Muslim groups saying, oh, well, you can't tell people this, this, this is prejudicial, this makes us look bad, etc., cetera, etc. Cetera. And he pulled out, according to Judicial Watch, which is an organization that I trust completely, because <laughs> they're one of the true Washington D.C. watchdogs. He pulled a lot of that information, that training material, out of the FBI training program. 
that's one potential problem, is he appears to be subjected to outside pressures. The other is, is that according to people who worked in the FBI, when both Mueller and uh, Comey were there together, they were very, very close. Mueller and Comey were very, very close friends and associates. And let's face it, Comey has got to be part of this investigation because there's a lot of things that Comey did that are very troubling. And, you know, it, it up to and including the uh, the business with Hillary Clinton and his waffling there, his back and forth, but his refusal to recommend prosecution after laying out the grounds for her to be prosecuted. And the leaks that have come out of the FBI while he was there in charge, after Trump had been uh, elected and inaugurated as president, those are concerning. So the the issue between Miller and, and Comey and their relationship is something that has to be considered in light of everything that's going on. The whole business of investigating Trump over and over for the same things over and over when they can find no evidence, uh, all of it for the most part is innuendo, and all of it is being pushed by the national news media, uh, which seems to be hysterical over this, but then they're hysterical over the fact that Trump beat Hillary Clinton. I mean, she was the anointed one. Remember, she was supposed to be the first female president of the United States. It was her right. She was a Clinton. She had been married to the president of the United States. She had been the secretary of state. One of the worst we've ever had, probably, if not the worst. But all of that gave her an absolute right, regardless of what she'd done in Benghazi, regardless of what she'd done with top-secret emails. That gave her the absolute right to be president. Instead, we have this upstart named Donald Trump who gets elected. And if you notice how the Democrats have started calling for his impeachment, well, guess what? That's nothing new to the Democrats. They call for the impeachment of George H. Bush, George W. Bush, Ronald Reagan, and now they're calling for the impeachment of Donald Trump. In fact, Maxine Waters was calling for the impeachment of Donald Trump before he was even inaugurated. That's certainly unique, impeaching a president for for something he hadn't even done yet. But then Alan Grayson, the liberal congressman from Florida, and a real nutcase in my view, he was calling for Donald Trump to be impeached before Donald Trump even got the Republican nomination for president. Now that's how smart some of these Democrats are. They're so hysterical. They throw common sense to the wind. They've thrown the truth to the wind. And now they've got something else to be hysterical about. And that's Donald Trump's budget. Now we have to consider that what Trump has done is he has proposed a budget that... And by the way, this is New York Times came out and said, well, this is all his campaign promises. What campaign promises is he breaking? I mean, the fact of the matter is, is that he promised that he would try to cut the deficit. He promised he would build up our military again, and he would do what needed to be done 
for our country and to protect the taxpayers, to reduce the deficit, and he's done all that with this budget. The budget cuts $3.6 trillion in government spending while increasing the spending on the military and also increasing or putting in some money for a border wall, which was another one of his promises. And he, the budget does not cut Medicare payments or Social Security payments, which he said he would not do, even though there's, there's some conservative fiscal hawks in Congress who are calling for that, and ultimately they, that may have to happen. But Trump's trying to avoid that. So he fulfilled that promise. What the Democrats are so upset about, and of course they're upset about anything Trump does. I mean, they have, they have vowed to oppose whoever he appoints as FBI director, just like they vowed to oppose whoever he appointed to the Supreme Court. And they've tried to uh, thwart his cabinet, sub-cabinet appointments to a great extent. So they're going to do everything they can to stop Donald Trump and any of his initiatives, including health care reform, including tax cuts, including his budget. One of the main things they're grabbing hold of is the fact that this budget assaults what they consider sacred cows for the Democratic Party. And that includes welfare payments, that includes food stamps, that includes Medicaid, all of which have been shown to be rife with corruption. That millions and millions of dollars are being spent every year on fraudulent Medicaid payments, on people who are not entitled to Medicaid legally, and that includes all the illegals in this country who get free Medicaid, free medical treatment the minute they cross the border, food stamps, which are given out to a lot of people that don't need them, and a lot of people that do are getting them. But again, food stamps are being given to illegals in our country who shouldn't be under federal law be getting any type of assistance. And then you've got your disability payments, your Social Security SSI, and SSI can be very, very important to people. But it's got to be governed with an eye to possible fraud and to making sure that the people who are getting SSI are entitled to it. And that has not always been the case. So a lot of what I see Trump doing with his budget is taking things out of the hands of the federal government and putting them back in the hands of the state governments. Medicaid, food stamp program, telling the states, you know better what your people need. You know better how to spend the money on food stamps and Medicaid than we do at the federal level. So let the states take control and let them deal with the situation when it comes to Medicaid. And I think, you know, these are good points. But again, they are sacred cows when it comes to the Democrats. And the Democrats do not want any cuts anywhere in spending that helps them get votes. But $3.6 trillion, that's a big cut. That is an amazing cut to the federal deficit, which, let's face it, is still out of control. We're closing in on a $20 billion 
debt right now, $20 trillion, not a million, turning to a $20 trillion debt. And that's unsustainable. We can't continue down that path, and we're going to have an economic collapse. It doesn't matter who the president is. It doesn't matter what Congress does. If they can let this continue, we are eventually going to go into an economic spiral, probably along with the rest of the world, and we're going to be clobbered. And it's going to be bad for all the American people. And the ones who are going to be hit the hardest are the people at the poverty level. Uh, Trump wants to reduce taxes. And one of the first things he wants to do, because reducing taxes will, in fact, stimulate the economy, grow jobs, and actually grow the amount of revenue going into the federal government. But in order to reduce taxes... He also wants to cut government spending. And that's what this budget does. And this flies in the face of your old-time Washington Democrats who want to tax and spend. That's been their philosophy for years. That was their philosophy of the Obama administration, to tax and spend. Increase taxes on the American people, run up the burden on the American people, and keep spending more money on infrastructure, on uh, help for refugees, for illegals, uh, trying to help people who shouldn't be in this country in the first place. And by the way, you know, the more and more you've got people in this country who are uh, being picked up and deported because they're criminal illegals. And the left is trying to protect them. I mean, you've got California, which is almost, you know, probably the most burdened state in the country when it comes to taxpayer burdens and uh, in direct competition with New York State. People are being taxed to death. And now they want to increase the gasoline tax. In fact, they have increased the gasoline tax by 12 cents per gallon. Now, they want to do that supposedly for infrastructure, which does need work in California. But there's something else going on over there. At the same time that they're increasing taxes for infrastructure, they're taking millions of taxpayer dollars that could be used for infrastructure without increasing taxes on the people of California, and they're spending that money defending illegals, including those who have been convicted of crimes in this country, and trying to protect them from being deported by the federal government. Direct violation of federal law. Direct violation of their duties under the Constitution of the United States. This is the craziness that's going on out there. And it's just going to get worse because as long as people keep electing governors like Moonbeam Jerry Brown. Let's take our final break now. Affordable health insurance was the promise of Obamacare. But for many, the government mandate caused more problems than it solved. This is Dr. Elena George from Medicine on Call, and I want to tell you about a truly affordable alternative allowed under Obamacare, Liberty HealthShare. Liberty HealthShare bypasses doctor and hospital panels, giving you the freedom to choose, and with a maximum of $500 out-of-pocket per person and 100% coverage up to $1 million per year per occurrence, you can rest assured knowing you and your family are protected. Coverage starts as low as $107 per month, 
and also includes dental, vision, pharmacy, and holistic care. Liberty HealthShare puts you back in charge of your health. Visit them online at libertyoncall.org. Again, for a true affordable alternative to Obamacare, visit libertyoncall.org or call toll-free 1-800-714-6993 today. This is Lawyer Liz. Join me each week as we discuss drones, the Internet of Things, and all the technology in between. It's Buzz Off with Lawyer Liz, Wednesdays at 2. Perhaps you are struggling to cope with the disease of addiction. If not, you probably know a family member or friend that needs help in battling the cravings and the personal and professional damage done by the effects of drugs or alcohol. Get a pen and paper and be ready to write down the following. These are the issues that the trained staff at the Atlanta Healing Center address and treat every day. Their doctors and counselors with over 40 years of practice in the field of addiction can treat the suffering individual in a thoughtful, compassionate, and experienced manner and guide him or her along the path to recovery. So call 770-696-9862 and speak to a knowledgeable staff member about how you or your loved one can be helped to enjoy a better and healthier life. More information is also available on the website at www.AtlantaHealingCenter.com. This is AmericasWebRadio.com, the best in chat radio designed just for you. What's happening with the federal budget I think is very important. And I think we ought to take a very good look at this, and we have to take a very good look at the senators who vote for and against it. Now, there's going to be a lot of changes made. Um, both sides of the aisle are going to make proposals for changes. That's the way a federal budget doesn't usually works. But think about this. We haven't had a budget approved by Congress since before Obama was in the president of the United States. Because when Obama took over, the Democrats controlled the Senate, which they did up until just a few years ago. And they controlled the Senate, and Harry Reid was in charge, and he wouldn't allow a vote to be even be taken on the budget. He just wanted Obama to be able to go ahead and spend and spend and spend. So we need to watch the people who are going to be elected to Congress, because let's face it, in 2018, the Democrats are going to go all out to try to steal the election and buy the election and take control of the Senate and possibly even take control of the House. And a good example right of this is what's going on right now in Georgia. In the special election to fill Tom Price's seat, you have a Democrat who was a part of a, a huge primary, open primary, which I think had like 17 people running. And you have a, a Democrat, a young Democrat named John Olson, who I believe that's the way you pronounce his name, who basically became the darling of the Democratic Party. And he's supposedly a more moderate uh, candidate who will appeal to people in the district. He won, but he didn't win outright. So he's facing his Republican opponent, a woman who is a Republican and a strong Republican and appears to be a fairly strong candidate. But the Democrat right now is leading by seven points in the polls. Now, of course, you know what I think of the polls. The polls haven't been right for the last two or three election cycles. In the case of Donald Trump, in the case of 
what happened last November, they were not even close. I think the polls are skewed uh, in favor of the Democrats, and it's easy enough to do. A lot depends when you're asking about issues, it's how you ask the question. When you're looking at candidates, what you do is you take a group to poll, and if you want the Democratic candidate to win the poll, you call more Democrats and ask them who they're going to vote for than you do Republicans or Independents. That's the way it works, and that's the way the game is played. So I don't know how right the polls are, but what I do know is that the Democrats are pouring millions and millions of dollars into this House race because this is a test run. If they can buy this House race, if they can steal this Republican seat, then that means that they are going to be think they're going to be able to do the same thing in 2018. And it's, it's going to be hard for the Republicans to hold on. Uh, if Trump continues to be as unpopular as supposedly he is, but again, I, I doubt the popularity polls. I think Trump's base is still strong. And by the way, even Rasmussen says that he's getting very good ratings on this, this trip he's on, uh, foreign trip. But we have to make sure that, first of all, the Republicans do what they promised to do, and that is repeal and replace Obamacare, reduce taxes for the American people, increase spending for our military, and do something about securing our border. And by the way, the fact that illegal immigration appears to be down 70% since Trump took over the presidency, that's an important point. And that's something that the national news media is trying to hide from the American people, is the fact that without the border wall even being built, many, many people have just decided it's not worth it. That if they come into this country, they are liable to be deported. Because under the Trump administration, they will be deported. And particularly if they are people who have been deported before and have been, have been found guilty of committing criminal acts. So this election in Georgia is a precursor to what may happen in another 18 months. The last thing we need to have happen in this country is for the Democrats to take back control of the House and Senate, or either one of them for that matter. Because they're already trying to block everything that the Republicans are trying to do, everything conservatives are trying to do, everything Trump's trying to do. If they control either one of the houses, they could effectively do that. And what I think ought to be done immediately is for Mitch McConnell and the Republicans to ditch this cloture rule. To get rid of the cloture rule that says that 60 senators have to vote to allow any bill to even be brought before the Senate for a vote on the bill, on the law itself. 60 of them have to vote for it. Well, the Democrats are using that to block votes, and they're using it to block votes on things like health care, probably at least part of it, and on the tax cuts and on the budget, anything Trump's, Trump's trying to do. And this is a, an old rule that was put in to protect the filibuster, which was a, a tradition of the, the Senate for many, many years. 
and I'm not saying stop the filibuster, but the filibuster used to mean that senators had to get up and, and keep talking to delay the votes on the bill. Now, one senator, one single senator can invoke cloture, and that requires that 60 senators have to vote for the bill to even come before the, the entire Senate. That is a not in the Constitution. The Constitution basically says that any legislation passed by either House of Congress has to be passed by a simple majority. Excuse me. The cloture rule, as far as I'm concerned, is unconstitutional because it essentially says that here in Texas, where I live, we have two Republican senators, and their votes are basically nullified under the cloture rule because the two votes of the Democratic senators in Massachusetts mean more under the cloture rule than the two votes from the Republicans in Texas. And I think that that's something that ought to be done away with, and the Senate can do it by a simple majority vote. <clears throat> in fact, I think Mitch McConnell can do it just by the fact that he's a majority leader in the Senate. He can make that change. We'll see what happens, but we have to do something at this point. And by the way, I want to remind people that uh, copies of my booklet, Our Constitution, are still on sale. Uh, <clears throat> several boxes of the booklet uh, were damaged by the tornado because I had them stored up outside and so, but I thought it was a secure, secure dry part of my garage and uh, it got hit pretty hard so uh, hopefully the insurance company might have business insurance and hopefully they're going to cover reprinting those booklets because a lot of them were, we hope to be able to send out to school children but the booklet, we still have some of those booklets and if you want to get a booklet online you can get it through Amazon Kimball. It's called Our Constitution by Michael R. Connolly. And it's also on, it's a notebook on Barnes & Noble, which, by the way, I don't know why it works this way, but Barnes & Noble gives me about three times the royalty on each booklet as the uh, as Amazon does. And, of course, I don't make any money off these booklets. I roll everything that, that comes in, even though I'm entitled to a royalty. I roll it all back into uh, printing costs for more booklets so we can sell these booklets in quantity to people who are ordering them to give out to school children because our kids don't know anything about the Constitution. They're not being taught anything about the Constitution. What they are being taught is absolutely false. What they are being taught about his American history is revisionist history. And so if you want to get copies of the booklet, it's like two ninety nine on both Amazon and uh, Barnes & Noble. And you can order copies there. You can go to my website and you can order copies, multiple copies at big discounts through me and my website, www.constitution.jigsy.com. And you can also, on that site and on my blog website, and I apologize for not doing a whole lot of my blog over the past month, but as I mentioned at the beginning of the show, it's been a tough time. Spent most of my time out on my property, trying to clean things up, save what we can. But I'm trying to get back to doing more writing as soon as I possibly can. But you can go to www.michaelconnelly, that's C-O-N-N-E-L-L-Y, dot jigsy, J-I-G-S-Y, dot com. You can order copies of my booklets through me or find out how to order them 
on Barnes and Noble and Amazon. You can order copies of all my other books too, including the very popular book The Mortarman about my dad's unit during World War Two, and the popular new historic novel or patriotic novel I should say called The Rag, which the liberals absolutely hate. They have attacked it on Amazon repeatedly, calling me a right wing nut, a gun nut, etc., etc. And, and you know, I don't know that they really understand that when they call me names like that, that's a compliment. I consider it a compliment. But anyway, we've run out of time, so thank you for having me on, and I look forward to talking to you next week. You're listening to America's Webradio.com, the pioneer and leader in chat radio. Thank you for listening.